From the studios of Advancing Vibrant Communities in Modesto, California, this is Lighthouse Live Radio on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. And good evening to you, wherever you may be. Pastor Mike Douglas here, along with Elaine Harlan, our producer and co-host, and, of course, our uh, faithful prayer intercessor, intercessor, the inimitable Mr. Owl, with us as well, Al Ramsey. And uh, here on Lighthouse Live tonight, uh, a great celebration. We're going to be celebrating uh, 50 years of ministry with uh, our friend uh, and pastor and uh, co-laborer in God's Harvest Field, Ross Bryles. Great to have you with us, Ross. And uh, we, um, you know, you... You have many sayings. Now, of course, some of them we're not going to put out over the air, but uh, uh, one of my favorite is when you're talking about, what is it, sermon preparation and uh, something about the choir hasn't, how does that go? Oh, well, I copied it from somebody, and that is that uh, a minister one time was asked what he's going to preach, and he said, uh, I'm really not sure because the choir hasn't sung yet, so... Uh, I have to wait till the choir sings to know what I'm going to preach. <laughs> there you go. Well, uh, well, we'll do a few more rosserisms as we go on. Rosserisms? Uh, I like that one. Rosserisms. Uh, but before we do, let's check in with our friends from Voice of the Martyrs. What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find that it's true? Hey, what's up? This is Michael Tate with a lesson from the Voice of the Martyrs. In 1521, Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, was brought to trial by corrupt church leaders who demanded he recant, but he refused. His theology, his life, would be based on scripture alone, not on the rules of church which had become tainted with politics and power. At his trial, Luther said, unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. So what's your authority? Like Martin Luther, is your conscience held captive by the Word of God? For more, go online to persecution.com. Back with you live here on Lighthouse Live. Again, Mike Douglas with you along with Lane Harlan. Our special guest tonight, Pastor Ross Bryles, Senior Pastor at Sherwood Bible Church and uh, good friend, and uh, we've, uh, you, know, you talk about iron sharpening iron, uh, Ross, I think one of the privileges that I've had since moving here in Modesto is uh, taking pieces of iron and sharpening it with you, and, and uh, uh, I think there's probably no one in town who's more well-read than you are on, <laughs> on um, n- new thought coming out, and, and I think, Ross, maybe one of the the keys to remaining somewhere in the ballpark where Christ wants us to be is to remain teachable, don't you think? Well, I would hope so. Um, I read a lot because I forget easily. Yeah. 
<laughs> so I have to I have to keep reading so I can remember. And but there's a I'm I'm just grateful that there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that I haven't learned yet, and I'm still trying to learn. Well, and I, and I think uh, one of the the challenges that we have is uh, as as we look at Scripture, we often are convinced that we're right, you know. But it's often uh, good to listen to other people as well, just to cross check us and and uh, to sometimes point out that maybe we've seen something or maybe they see something that we haven't seen before you know i think we've all that have had that experience where we go through the book and we read a particular verse and something hits us that even though we've read it a bazillion times before suddenly you know god gives us a a, a new vista a new a new way of looking at that verse we've never seen before it's one of the great things about scripture is that it is multifaceted. It's almost as if you were to take a diamond and hold it up and, mm-hmm. and look yeah. at it. And uh, as you would turn it, you would see a different, a different facet and That's a right. part of the, of the beauty of Scripture. There was an opportunity I had a year or two ago to speak to a group of, of uh, people in the Midwest. And so I titled my, uh, my talk or my sermon about what I've learned after I knew everything. <laughs> and so um, <clears throat> that's good. <laughs> I uh, it's it's amazing how how I had the answer to every question by the time I was uh, a couple years out of uh, of Bible school and uh, until I found out that my uh, my answers didn't fit the questions. Mm. And so I'm still in the process of learning and there's a lot of uh, a lot of things out there. I I enjoy reading stuff I even disagree with, uh, mm. because mm. in disagreeing with it, um, I I'm able to clarify what I what I really believe. And uh, the other thing about uh, about reading, I just uh, well I I'm a reader and I enjoy it. Well, I think uh, you look at at Paul and how well read he was. Uh, he spent a lot of time understanding what the opposition had to say. In order to clear, as you say, in order to clarify his position, in order to uh, be able to debate, in order to be able to answer questions, you kind of have to know where the other person's coming from. And so I think there's some value in understanding why other people think the way they do, and, and it helps us understand how to answer their questions, if nothing else. Well, I think that we all need to be as right and feel that we're as right as we, sure. as we know best. Absolutely. The yeah. thing that probably is not a revelation to many people, but came as a revelation to me, was that as best I know, I am right, but I'm not infallible. Yeah, and right. being willing to acknowledge that um, is a little bit humbling, And I, but I think it's a journey that all of us, well, I need to go on. I'll just talk yeah. about what my journey needs to be. Amen. We'll talk more with uh, Ross after this from Brad Dacus and the Pacific Justice Institute. It's time for The Legal Edge, a look at your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. And now with a look at what's happening on the legal front, the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. The more than 400 children removed from a Texas polygamous sect two months ago are going home. The raid by Family Protective Services was triggered by an anonymous call from a girl claiming sexual abuse inside the compound. Now, after two months of investigation, the call has proven to be fraudulent. Last week, the Texas Supreme Court declared the removal of hundreds of children was illegal. This tragedy highlights the overreaching power of Child Protective Services, CPS, throughout our nation. Denying parents under scrutiny few due process rights. 
Well, Pacific Justice Institute has drafted model legislation to counter these parental due process violations. I'm Brad Dacus. To find out more about The Legal Edge, call 916-857-6900 or log on at pacificjustice.org. You know, Elaine, before we move on, I just want to tag on on that particular subject. Uh, You know, we acknowledge that children need to be protected. Mm -hmm. I think the issue here is when you swing that pendulum way over this way, whichever way that may be, uh, you know, where, where you put the government in charge of the children and you take away parents' rights. You know, that's when it gets awfully uh, awfully concerning. And, again, you know, we're not saying that uh, children ought not to be protected. There's a lot of good that CPS does, but uh, there, there have been some abuses as well. And that's the point of uh, what, what Brad Dacus is talking about. There. Let's take a quick look at the Volunteer Center of the United Way, a day of hope, and I think we need a lot of that, a car wash fundraiser to be held this coming Saturday, June 21st. And for those of us who need our car wash, and I see two of them in the parking lot, we won't name the two, Mike's. So what you saying i just uh-huh. said it i just said it if you're need to be washed and that's happening at Tur- in turlock this coming weekend volunteers needed to help wash and detail these cars i've had people offer to clean my clock but not the not the car wash the clocks the and the cars uh detail these cars to raise money for needy families and volunteers needed to help out flexible shifts are available between 9 30 and 7 30 uh, monetary and non-perishable food donations are greatly appreciated also and can be dropped off when you get your car washed a day of hope is a program of the csu stanislaw foundation that distributes baskets of food and turkeys to families in need at thanksgiving great time to be had by all. American Cancer Society, this is it, Relay for Life this weekend. Mm, Uh, The 24-hour relay event is celebrated June 21st and 22nd uh, in Modesto and Turlock. Volunteers are needed uh, to set up uh, and assist with cleanup and conclusion of the event at all sites. We'll give you the phone number to call in just a moment. Uh, Also, Society for Handicapped Children and Adults. This is Have Fun in the Sun While Helping Disabled Water Skiers with the Summer Skiing Unlimited Program. Uh, Volunteers ages 15 years and older uh, needed to help out handicapped skiers on inner tubes and with water activities. Uh, Outings will take place at Modesto Reservoir from 10 a.m. to 3 on various Saturdays through September. So this uh, this will be a lot of fun. The program provides access to skiing for blind, deaf, paraplegic, uh, quadriplegic, developmentally uh, delayed people uh, who otherwise might be denied uh, the opportunity to participate in these sports. Uh, with adaptive equipment and special instructions, uh, there are few disabilities too severe to prevent participation. Volunteers must know how to swim. You must pass a fingerprint background check uh, if you're over the age of 18 years. Skiing experience is helpful but not required. The society provides a a variety of services and programs designed to enhance the quality of life for persons of all ages and disabilities that reside in Stanislaw County. So this might be an area that you would love to volunteer, and we would encourage you to do that. So if you're interested in any of these opportunities to serve, we would encourage you to contact Barbara Borba. She's at 209-524-1307, extension 113, or you can contact her at bborba at uwaystand.org. 
or you can always give us a call here at 544-9571. Again, 209-544-9571, where we are currently accepting fans and air conditioning window units, much, much needed during Mm. the hot weather for lots of people who cannot afford to cool themselves, lots of people uh, residing in mobile home units right now who just are cooking in the hot weather and need uh, these kinds of things. A lot of the seniors, and as we talk to uh, the Area Agency on Aging and other agencies, friends, there are a lot of seniors among us who've been abandoned by their families. Mm -hmm. They are basically without many resources at all. Uh, in their these little metal boxes in mobile home parks, and it's deadly uh, during the summer. And your fans or a window air conditioning unit uh, could mean uh, a great thing for their health and, and possibly their life as well. So we encourage you to think about that and pray about that. We also need you to help us to pick up and distribute these items. So if you're interested in helping to uh, volunteer some of your time to Yeah, because Leonard over here, we would, uh, you know, he, he and Ken, yeah. Batman and Robin over yes. here, you know, there's only two of them. And we've got so many things to, to deliver. It would be great if you if you could help Leonard and Ken out there. Well, you know, we're great, uh, greatly uh, privileged to have with us, as we said before, Ross Bryles, Mr. Ross Bryles to some of us. And we just love giving this man a hard time. And who doesn't? You know, we just <laughs> So I noticed. It's great, <laughs> it's great to have you here, Ross. And uh, I guess we can just publicly tell the world that we actually do, truth be known, we, we love him and uh, – just uh, enjoy serving with you in this city. And, and we won't mention any names. Uh, Mike Douglas says that you've been here since Jesus was a boy. but we, we <laughs> Not quite, but <laughs> Not close. quite, but pretty close. Ross, Teenager. your beginnings, right. didn't you actually begin from the Midwest, uh, Kansas, right? Somewhere well, I was born in Kansas, okay. but I grew up in Colorado. Okay. And my wife and I moved to Modesto, will be 46 years ago. Mm. This uh, this September, first September. So we've been in the same congregation 46 years. That doesn't mean a whole lot, except it tells you the congregation is a is a very trusting, loving, affirming, forgiving, uh, <laughs> patient group of people. And so I've had the privilege of serving uh, in that capacity as their pastor for 40, soon to be 46 years. Now, our podcast goes out to a lot of people across this land, some places that we can't even pronounce or spell. Well, and, but, I mean, and actually last week we added Paris. Pa- really? Paris, France. Oh, I did not uh, know that. Yeah, Wonderful. and uh, a couple more Canadian Great. friends as well. So let's tell Paris, Ross, <laughs> about Sherwood Bible Church, how God communicated his message to you in the very beginning, and let's just let's just tell the story. Well, my wife and I came to Modesto in the spring of 1962, and agreed to come back to assume the role of pastor in the fall, September. And during that summer, I went back to the Midwest, which you referred to a little earlier, and built a parsonage for a congregation in Amarillo, Texas. And so we moved back, and I've often said that uh, we arrived here on Labor Day weekend with all of our possessions in a 4 by 8 trailer. Uh, the only thing that I had... Um, that I promised myself is I would not arrive here with mattresses on the top of the car. Um, <laughs> kind of like Jethro. Yes, yeah. we, we were successful in that, uh, though the mattresses were, were roped uh, and covered with a tarp on the top of the trailer, and I had to rope them down very, very, very hard, and they never quite recovered. There was always little, uh, little dips in the side of the mattress, but uh, we arrived here in the fall of 62 with all of our possessions in a four-bay trailer. 
and uh, began what I thought would be a four to six year stint mm. as a pastor of a small congregation. And then I would go on to bigger and better things. And so now, 46 years later, why we're still here and serving a congregation that are just a unique group of people. If people want to know what I do, I tell them I'm an associate pastor of the Church of Modesto, serving a parish of 210,000 and a congregation of 50. And then I had one person said, well, 50,000? I said, whatever you think is fine with me. <laughs> well, and, and truth be known, Ross, really, Sherwood is uh, kind of like one of God's secret weapons in, in this city. You know, very humble um, in, in terms of not trumpeting what it does, but God has used you and Sherwood Bible Church to undergird uh, many things that have happened in the city spiritually uh, to be a catalyst uh, for many things that are happening. So, uh, you know, we're all parts of the body. And I think God has carved out a unique niche for you and, and Sherwood Bible Church. I mean, uh, if we didn't have you and Sherwood in this city, I think, uh, you know, we'd be missing a, a lot of the great initiatives that, that have happened. You guys are kind of out there quietly in the background uh, answering God's call in some very unique ways. Did it start out that way for you, or, or was that something that, that just uh, came no, about over time? No, Michael, it didn't start that way. Yeah. Um, I came from a background of that was we knew we had the absolute truth and uh, everything. Everybody else had a portion of it maybe, but nothing as good as what I was taught. That was my background. Yeah. And I came to this city feeling the basically that same mindset and same attitude. And it wasn't until probably a year or two after I arrived here that I was introduced to some ideas that I could not get my arms around or my mind around at the time. And it was the truth, and I believe it is to be the truth, that there is one, there is one church, one body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And we, um, at that time, I... I it wasn't a very accepted idea. People were very concerned about their denominational titles, their denominational affiliations, as I was. Uh, though I came from what was called by my my peers, my associates, as a as a non-denominational um, type of congregational setting, we were very much denominationally focused. And everybody else was uh, maybe had a little bit of truth, but not really as much as we did. And so I was introduced to the idea that maybe God had a was a lot bigger God and a lot more people than the ones I knew. Mm. And so uh, I began that journey, still on that journey, still trying to understand how big uh, the body of Christ really is. But I I couldn't get my arms around it because at that time, because I was trying to figure out how you can get everybody to believe one statement of faith mm. i've since learned that that's not for me to try to figure out i believe that we agree the body of christ people who are christians believe on 90 percent agree on 90 percent of the issues uh, and we disagree on maybe five or ten percent but we spend 90 percent of our time arguing about the five or ten percent we disagree on and i purposed in my mind early on that i was going to focus on the 90 percent we agree on. Mm. Now, you and I, as you know, we have a lot of fun with um, 
a lot of the stuff. I uh, I jerk your chain sometimes about communion. And, and you're uh, a good chain jerker. <laughs> <laughs> and he enjoys that. And I he know has fun with that. that communion story. Before we go on with that, though, Pat Chavez is uh, another. You know, there there are people that God brings into your life, and and it's just you you, you inspire each other. Mm. You know, it's 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 a relationship where it's safe and. And you can bring stuff up to each other, Ross. And I think, you know, within the community of pastors, we've seen God create that kind of safe environment uh, through prayer. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, one of those safe people is, is Pat over here. And, you know, with that, of course, comes a lot of fun and, and uh, just the freedom to laugh and enjoy life together and all that. Pat, would you mind just coming over here just for a second? And, and uh, Pat, you know, Pat's one of these guys, too. His, his heart's big, and it's around the city. And he just slapped Ross uh, back of the head here. But, uh, Pat, maybe a few comments from you. You've been in town here a long time as well, and we're, we're celebrating Ross's uh, 50 years in ministry tonight. Uh, maybe some impressions from you as a, as a church leader, as a board member, as a, a man of God in this city. What, what are your, some of your observations about Ross and how God has used him? Well, I've met Ross on uh, on several levels. Uh, one is I met him uh, years ago as uh, as a local businessman in town, and uh, Ross, um, uh, though a serious man, has always been a man of high moral character and integrity, as well as a fun guy, just a just a fun, pleasurable guy to be around. But uh, Ross is one of those guys that. Um, two things will always happen when you come into his presence. One is he will he will get you to laugh, and he'll get you to think about something that's uh, th- that is uh, uh, kingdom centered. Mm. He's always got a new idea. He's uh, he he loves God. He loves God's people, and he loves the people that aren't quite yet God's people. He Amen. loves our community. Um, I uh, happen to know a family that attended his church in years past, and uh, I, I just know how uh, Ross has gone out of his way, uh, him and his wife, to to love people. Mm. Uh, not only does he have a, a citywide heart, but that focus can come down to families and individuals. And, and I know that this family was going through a hard time, and and, uh, and he loved them, and he cared for them. Uh, um, I know of a young man that uh, years ago was uh, one of his interns and how he was long-suffering and nurtured this man and, and uh, uh, helped him become effective for the kingdom. Uh, I attend another church in town. I've never attended Ross's church, but uh, I was uh, in the middle of uh, I was uh, I met with our leadership team just this last week, and uh, our senior pastor uh, uh, both Saturday night and Sunday morning, one of the people he prayed for was Ross Bryles and, and the great effect that he has in this community. And uh, so there is a sense of community, and Ross does have the respect of, uh, of uh, citywide leaders uh, a- as well as pastors. And uh, um, anyway, he's, he's a man to be loved and a man to be respected. And a man to get one up on if you get the chance. So I affectionately call him Ebenezer uh, Bryles, and, uh, and his wife thinks he's so tight she doesn't call him honey; she calls him Tick. Oh. <laughs> That's not true. Thanks, Pat. I think. 
Well, do you, do you want to get this communion story out of the way? Here? Oh, no, no. I just wanted to you kind of... You just threw that out there. Yeah, I just okay. kind of thought I'd throw it out there okay. for, for fun. All right. It's one of those hanging chads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you know, I, I think humor and, and the ability to laugh together is, is one of the evidences of... Uh, you know, staying in the light together, being real together, and, and that's, I think, when God does some of his greatest work is when we relax in his presence with each other and, and just let him lead and uh, put some of those differences aside. Rosh, you were mentioning uh, just a few moments ago, uh, you know, the 90% that we can agree on. And uh, one, of, one of the th- ways that we've seen that rolled out in real time is with um, the Greater Modesto Ministerial Association, now known as Mission Greater Modesto. And uh, it is not an easy thing to bring uh, a bunch of men into the room, pastors uh, who are from different denominational traditions, uh, and to have them pray for an hour, much less going to a prayer summit for three and a half, four days and praying together. Uh, not easy to bring them into the room and have all those different denominational distinctives there and get to the point where we can all just pray together for an hour and never even have to visit, you know, what uh, what our differences are. But that takes a couple of things. That takes time, and it takes relationships, and it takes the uh, intent, I think, on our part to focus on what God wants us to focus on and leave the other stuff aside. You saw, and it, maybe it's a bad word, but the evolution of um, of that in the city of Modesto as pastors gathered together. Mm-hmm. And you, you've seen a, a great transition to the point where you can have that kind of safety. And, uh, you know, someone who has a Pentecostal background, someone who has a Lutheran background, and uh, somebody like me who has kind of a mange background, I mean, kind of a multiplicity of things, can all sit down together and, and pray. What 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 did you see that really um, brought us to that point where, where we could do that over the years? It's a good question, Mike. I, I'm not sure I have a nice, easy answer mm-hmm. or a packaged answer for that. Uh, I think that, number one, none of us were smart enough to figure it out. I think that it was just God and his love, mercy, sovereignty that that chose to touch down in our city and begin to draw some of us together. Mm. Um, one of the things that I do believe very strongly is that we don't trust people that we don't know. Yeah. And we don't know people until we spend time with them. Mm-hmm. And so f- probably 14, 15 plus years ago now, serving on the leadership team of Greater Modesto Ministerial Association, it became obvious that we were not praying together. I don't mean this in a negative way, but preachers talk a lot about prayer, but uh, probably we don't pray as much as many other people do. We're busy doing the work of the Lord. So we begin to try to launch prayer at various levels. And throughout various venues in the city, congregational buildings, why we would would go and schedule prayer meetings. And maybe one, two, three people besides the staff of that congregation would show up. Mm Mm-hmm. And so the leadership came back and looking at it. We tried this over 12, 18-month period of time and decided that maybe we, ought to, maybe we ought to really have a prayer summit. And it's a pastor's prayer summit where uh, pastors in the community come together for three and a half, four days with no agenda to just begin to seek God's face and say, God, 
We want to hear from you. What do you want to tell us? Well, the very and I, I really thought it was the right thing to do, except I had a problem with it. Number one, they scheduled it at a time of year that I had set aside to take a week and drive to Colorado and go snow skiing. <laughs> Uh-oh. And so I had to give up my snow skiing week in Colorado. The other thing that they wanted us to do was get on a bus and go with 40 or 45 or whatever the number of the bus would hold other pastors and give up my wheels. Now, those of you who know me know that I don't give up my my wheels, my truck for anybody. But that was still not the real deal breaker that I had to get over. And that was, I wasn't sure I wanted to spend that long with a bunch of preachers. Uh, I've been a bivocational pastor through out of, out of 50 years of ministry. I would say that 49 of those has been spent uh, what I call working for a living to my good brothers of the cloth and in jest, of course. But I, I just wasn't sure that I wanted to spend that much time mm-hmm. where I couldn't get away. But I did. And as, uh, as you know, we just finished our 15th yeah. Pastor's Prayer Summit. Yeah. I've had the privilege of going to all 15 of them. Wow. And uh, so what I've seen, Michael, in answer to your, your question, is I have seen God draw people together because of our love for him. And when we focus on him, other things begin to slip away and not be so important. You know, we uh, we talk a lot about John 17 and the unity that, that Jesus spoke of. and not sure that we know what that looks like uh, f- for us. I don't know that we've really seen that. In, in history, but I think one of the lessons that we've all learned together, and uh, maybe you can uh, unpack this a little bit, is if we're trying to hit a target called unity, we're probably going to miss it. Uh, on the other hand, and you just alluded to it, don't you think that it's when we're about the business that God asked us to be about, unity is an outflow or an outcropping of that? Well, to answer that in a in a way that was said to us at our first pastor's prayer summit. One of the brothers had expressed a desire for revival and really felt that revival was occurring in our summit time. And we were admonished that when we came back to the city from being out of town for four days, that we not seek revival because in seeking revival, we might very well miss Jesus. Mm. Mm. But in seeking him, seeking Jesus, the other things will come about. And unity is one of those things. If you seek unity, you'll miss it. Because you get into part of the problem of uh, who's going to give up what. And whenever we come to the foot of the cross, the ground is very level there. Mm. And we all come there the same all sinners in need of God's grace and his forgiveness and his mercy. And um, there's there's no hierarchical st- uh, structure there. And if there's one thing that I, I believe strongly in, and that is that the hierarchy is, ma- is something that man has put in place where we have a pecking order mm. and we look at people according to their position or ranking in life 
And the Bible's pretty specific about it, um, about not paying more attention to a person of wealth or a person of uh, fame, but to recognize that uh, we are all we're all pilgrims on this journey, mm-hmm. and seeking Jesus will bring us together. Mm. And the more we seek him, the more together we'll come. And that ground does level. Yes. At the foot of the cross, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah. You know, we're talking about that. You, uh, There's a book laying on the table here that you <laughs> introduced me to uh, called Pagan Christianity. And uh, it's um, uh, one of George Barna's uh, projects. With uh, Is it Frank Viola, I think? is his Yes, name. yes. And uh, what, what's amazing, if and, and, and I think... I encourage you to, if you want to pick that up and read it, to to pray ahead of time and and just let God take you through it, and 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 just read it and then try to go back and and put it into perspective. But I, you know, I, I think one of the messages of that books is oftentimes that we confuse scripture with tradition. Correct. And. Uh, by the way, Ross, a couple of minutes ago we were we were talking about the fact that uh, one of your sayings was, you know, is the preacher getting ready to preach? Is he ready yet? And he says, "Well, the choir hasn't sung yet." Well, Ross, we have a we have a we have a well, the choir's here, and the choir's <laughs> going to sing, and uh, so we're going to see uh, what you have to do in response to that. And uh oh, uh oh, Elaine, you want to introduce uh, our guest here? This is normally a time, Ross, where we would have a, a pre-recorded song that we would play during the show, but uh, we want to commemorate your time at Sherwood Bible Church, and this is a special time we want to introduce to you now. His story for, and uh, it consists of Perry Sadu. Bill Compton uh, on baritone, Derek Sturkey, and a subtenor this week, Dave Wallace, in for uh, Bob Greenalch. And uh, they're going to do a couple of songs for you. They have an Irish blessing and also uh, America the Beautiful. So we uh, have for you now his story for gentlemen. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sunshine warm upon your face. The rain falls soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, and until Oh, beautiful for 
spacious skies for amber waves of rain for purple mountain majesties above the fruited plain America America God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. America, America. All right. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, that was his story for. Oh, thank you so Thanks much. Thanks for coming by, Thank gentlemen. you for we coming by. It. And just to let you know, his story for, they are reachable, and you may reach them at area code 209. <laughs> the phones are ringing now. 209-527-4349. We want to thank you so much. God bless you. All right, Ross, so the choir is sung. Um, Time for me to <laughs> preach now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope you enjoyed that. Again, yes, friends, you're listening yes. to Lighthouse Amen. Live here on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network with Advancing Vibrant Communities. Mike Douglas with you along with Elaine Harlan, our special guest today, Pastor Ross Bryles, as we celebrate 50 years of uh, of ministry and his response to God's calling uh, in the studio with us tonight as well. Our prayer intercessor, the inimitable Mr. Owl Al Ramsey, Pat Chavez, and uh, uh, also Big Big John, the Ever Ready Bunny, Big John Engel, with us, uh, and uh, we're going to have uh, now. Now John actually is one of Ross's parishioners, and so yes. this, this is going to be really good here in just a second uh, because we we get to hear a firsthand account of what happens after the choir sings. Also with us, uh, Leonard Heisel, uh, one of the uh, uh, part of the dynamic duo of Batman and Robin here at Advancing Vibrant Communities, out serving. Uh, Several days of the week, and you guys, Leonard, put on something like 7,000 miles on your vehicles last year, right? Over 7,000 miles and delivering furniture to needy folks and such, and so thank you for uh, for your service. Yes, indeed. Ross, uh, as, as we were uh, talking, I was just thinking, you know, that um, God often provides unexpected things in our lives. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think sometimes we throw around Romans 8.28 a little too uh, loosely, you know, but uh, it, it is true that uh, through all of this, God does work uh, through those who know him. And, and one of the uh, special opportunities that you have in life uh, was to come to a very personal understanding of the deaf culture. And that's as one of your uh, daughters is uh, is deaf. And as uh, tell us a little bit, Ross, about how you process through that, how that's uh, been a blessing in, in, in some ways and how it's given you some insights and to be able to reach a new community that many of us can't reach. Thanks for bringing that up, Michael, because it is a it is an area of uh, of my life that I did not quite have a well, I did. I didn't know any deaf people growing up. I remember only having met one deaf person at the age of five or six years old, mm. and that was only just a brief exposure to that whole culture. In 1965, January, uh, we had our first daughter born into our family. Uh, unknown to us at that time, my wife, nine months before that, or about uh, probably seven and a half months before that, 
before we even knew that we were expecting a, a baby, uh, had been exposed to German measles uh, in the years 63, 4, 5, 6. There was a worldwide epidemic of rubella, German measles. And, uh, and so a, uh, a mother who has rubella, the child that she's carrying may be impacted in a number of ways. She may be, the child may be impacted either with mental retardation, can be physically handicapped, can be deaf or blind or any combination of the above. Mm. And so it, um, another one of the characteristics or one of the problems can be that they can have a heart uh, malfunction as well. At six weeks of age, our daughter, who we did not know was deaf, of course, now they have other tests they're able to do, but uh, in 1965, that was not, it wasn't available. So at six weeks of age, he had congestive heart failure, mm. spent two weeks in the hospital in San Francisco. And it was kind of one of those um, uh, altar moments, I call it, mm. where um, I'd kind of made a deal with God. Mm. It wasn't a formal deal, but it was in the background. Uh, God, you take care of my wife and any children we have, and I'll serve you. And uh, so on a sunny night, uh, my wife and I, uh, and the f- oh, after our daughter had been in the hospital a week, um, slipped into a church on Sunday morning and then went back to the same church Sunday night. And as we slipped into that church on Sunday night, I sat on the back seat and, and I literally wept through the entire service. Mm-hmm. And I was doing some heavy-duty business with God over this whole issue of my deal making with God. And um, by the time, and at that point, I finally said, God, all right, she's yours. And whether she lives or dies is not uh, is not part of the deal. Mm-hmm. My part of the deal is to serve you and release her to you. And uh, now that's not the only time I've had to do that, but it was it was one of those ultra moments which I, I find very significant in my life. Uh, the story goes on over the next four years. During the next four years, we found out she had uh, a heart defect. She went underwent two cardiac catheterizations in that four years. Before she was three, we found out she was deaf, and before she was four, she had heart surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, it introduced me to um, a whole dimension of uh, ministry that I didn't even know existed. And it has permitted me to travel in various parts of the world. I've made five trips to India. I've been to Hong Kong, Singapore, mainland China. And all of those would never have occurred if I had not been involved in trying to help people be aware of the deaf culture and the need to to help faith come by seeing as opposed to hearing. Mm. And I don't want to try to unwrap that um, in too complex a way, but I really believe that um, it's been a blessing to me. Our daughter now is um, has made us grandparents. We have two grandchildren. Uh, I, our congregation yes. has had a deaf congregation now since 1985, so 23 years that we are working on now. Um, it's just been a, a wonderful opportunity, and I I have a lot of fun. You I have do, a yes. lot of fun with my deaf, our deaf pastors that have been a part of our congregation, and uh, and our deaf friends. You know, Ross, we watch you as you minister uh, in the city. 
with that special ministry, and it's just a, a blessing to watch you do that. And God tells us, you know, he formed us in our mother's womb long before the, the foundations of the, the world he knew. And he had that calling, it seems, on your life a long time ago. And uh, it's just incredible to watch you live that out and what a special calling that is. He gifted you and, and how, you know, the, those gifts and talents are, are played out and how obedient you are to that call in your life. And he, uh, you, you know, you have he gifted you, and, yeah, and you, you have the special talents, and it's just a, a, it's awesome for the rest of us to get to watch you as you, uh, as you live that out in your life. One of the things about the whole area of deafness in probably about 1953, 54, I first felt God call me as a young teenage boy, and I thought, well, the greatest sacrifice would be to be, to give in or to follow a call from God into missionary work. And the only foreign person I knew was a man from India. And so I had gotten acquainted with uh, Stephen Abraham from Kerala State in South India. And I felt like that I would go to India someday as a missionary. And so I grew up, graduated from high school, went on to Bible training, Bible school training, and uh, eventually uh, into church work, married, and the idea of going into the mission field just never seemed to appear again until 35 years later, I found myself in, on a trip to India with our deaf pastor and his wife, visiting deaf schools and deaf ministries, and really felt very much at home. And it wasn't until my second trip there that I had kind of a, a little insight into my comfort there, and I thought, wow. I was in the home of the man that I had met 35 years earlier, uh, exposing people to the opportunity to minister to deaf people. Mm. And over the next six years, I made five trips to India and just had the opportunity of introducing a number of people to the wonderful opportunity of communicating the good news of Christ in a visual manner as opposed to an auditory manner. Mm. Mm -hmm. Ross, we're going to take a quick break here. On the other side of it, though, I want to talk a, a little bit about city transformation. I mean, you've kind of, I, I describe it like taking my mind with a can opener, you know, <laughs> prying it open and, uh, and uh, opening many vistas to me about what city transformation means, what it means to see God permeating all levels of society and, and uh, what we can do to promote it. We'll talk more about that right after this. Deep needs, deep hurts, spreading far beyond the government's ability to help. Children, single moms and dads, the elderly, disabled, the homeless. Yet, thousands of resources that can meet those needs are sitting right now in the pews and seats of our churches. The challenge? Activating those resources and connecting them with the people in need. We have a proven solution, advancing vibrant communities. We bridge the gap. We connect people and churches with opportunities to serve the needs of their neighbors. Pure, simple, proven effective, advancing vibrant communities. What's our motivation? Jesus' command in Matthew 22:39, to love your neighbor as yourself. The church at large has a biblical mandate to serve the needs of the community. 
Advancing Vibrant Communities researches those needs, then finds volunteers with the skills and passions to meet those needs. The very first story that Mike told about ABC involves serving one of my church members whose needs I could not meet within my own community. And in that moment, God humbled me and asked me to open my heart and really listen. And as I saw the setup of the database, I realized that AVC is a wonderful partner with my own congregation. It helps us be more effective. This organization comes along and says, I'll do a lot of the groundwork and we'll discover the needs. And then those folks in your congregation who desire to be a part and who have these skills can volunteer. AVC partners with over 80 community and government agencies to help meet the needs of the city. We network with organizations like Habitat for Humanity, the American Red Cross, Salvation Army, the Area Agency on Aging, the School District, and the Police Department. Habitat and ABC is a perfect match in that we both have common missions of helping people get out of the four walls of the church, getting out into the community and helping others. ABC serves volunteers by finding ways for them to help others. ABC serves the needy through volunteer efforts with love, grace, mercy, and compassion. ABC serves churches by augmenting efforts to reach out and meet the needs of their neighbors. ABC serves businesses by helping create healthy neighborhoods, by connecting employees with opportunities to volunteer, and by providing opportunities to donate goods and services to legitimate needs in the community. Well, it works. And I, I, I believe that as in our companies, as being uh, formerly a businessman in, in, in Stanislaus County and, and uh, other counties in the state as, as, as well, that uh, our companies were only as, as successful as our weakest link. And I believe that to be the same case in our communities and in our cities, that we can only be as much as we're going to be based upon the capacity and the ability of others to participate at an increased level and quality of, of life. You know, some of us can do, donate a little money, some a little time, some one or the other or both. It really touched my heart that these strangers were interested in me and what I needed in my life. You know, it's not only hearing it, but it's seeing them, and it's being there in person and seeing the, the need that they have and hopefully being able to do something about it. I will tell you, as you know, your chief of police in the city of Modesto, we need your help in the community making a difference. Volunteer. I know we can put you to work. And I, I promise you, if you get involved, you'll feel better. You'll be happier. How can we partner with you to meet the needs of our city? We ask you to consider monthly financial support and to help recruit more volunteers. Advancing Vibrant Communities. Faith in action. Pure, simple, proven effective. Carrying out the biblical mandate to love our neighbors as ourselves. Thank you. And we're back with you on Lighthouse Live, Pastor Mike, Elaine, and our special guest this week, Pastor Ross Bryles of Sherwood Bible Church. Ross, a lot of talk about city transformation, and we've had the, the blessing of being able to rub shoulders with 
men and women across the nation through Mission America and the City Impact Roundtables. Uh, and I think one of the blessings of that is understanding that we all have some common challenges <laughs> in that regard. But let's talk just a little bit about uh, our, your heart for city transformation and, and, uh, and, and the value of the marketplace minister. That's a mighty big subject that I'm not even sure I can begin to get my arms around, Michael. But I do believe that as congregations, we need to be engaged in the city, in our geographical regions, and not just about what happens within our brick-and-mortar walls. And as we do that, we, we need to engage people at their point of need. Mm-hmm. And the thing, though, that I'm learning about this and the the journey that I'm, I've been on and continue to walk is that there are no easy answers to city transformation. There's no substitute for just getting out there and being a presence in the community. I think one of the reasons that we have the lack of transformation is that we have removed ourselves from the marketplace. Isolated ourselves. And isolated ourselves. Good word. Yeah. And as a result of that, uh, we also have taken and put the emphasis upon ministry within a congregational building. And I'm not opposed to that. Don't misunderstand me. I preach every Sunday, or at least endeavor to, if I can get the choir to sing. <laughs> and um, so, of course, John knows we don't have a choir, so... Um, the preparation is rather <laughs> haphazard at best. No. But I think the thing that I'm learning, and I've watched this over the last 10 or so years with other men and women throughout the United States who are involved in trying to bring about a change in the, in the atmosphere and in the climate, if you please, of cities, is that there are no easy answers, and it's not going to happen in a sprint. Yeah. That what we are locked into is a marathon. And Christians, by and large, we have become happy and at ease, comfortable with sprints. And we're locked into a marathon. And if we're going to see any significant change, it's going to be over the long haul. And it's going to not be in nice, big events. It's going to be in small things, one person, one step, one life, uh, one neighborhood, uh, at a time. We're so fast-paced. Well, it's what I call the microwave thing. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. We want it yesterday. And I'm I'm very much guilty of that. If somebody wants to know if I, when I, yeah, I want something, I'll say, you know, I want it, uh, I want it yesterday. If Absolutely. I'd wanted it today, mm-hmm. uh, I'd have told you uh, tomorrow. And so we're all, we're all, uh, the culture has in, in many ways pressed us into, into its mold. And I really believe in, in regards to transformation that we've got the best results of our best efforts, Michael. Mm. We need a supernatural visitation of God in all of our lives if we're going to see significant change occur. And, and I think part of that, Ross, as you mentioned, the marathon, is that the community that is in need really wants a long-term presence. That's correct. They, they are not served and... and, and uh, not impressed by a hit-and-run type thing. That that really doesn't help a lot. But that they really need and, and desire a long-term relationship, and that, that develops uh, 
trust. Uh, Big John, why don't you come over here? Uh, John Engel, of course, the Ever Ready Bunny at uh, at ABC. John ke- just keeps going and going and going. And 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 John uh, John uh, is a congregant at uh, Sherwood Bible Church. And John, maybe just a couple words about uh, your pastor here, uh, Pastor Ross. This is the bottom line. <laughs> We spoke about change and his testimony about change and his testimony of work in the community. It's a man that can roll up his sleeves and not just sit at the table and talk about it, but to get outside and get it on, get with it, and start making changes and encourage other people to make those changes. He's an encourager. He's a doer. He's a can-doer. And and that's a marvelous thing. Ross the bottom line, again, is Ross is a man that knows the way, shows the way, and he goes the way. And what does Did that you mean? you say he goes the way he or goes, goes the way? way. Oh, the way. <laughs> and, and I, just, thank you. I was just checking on that. <laughs> Clarify that, please. What, the, what that means is, what that simply means is he walks his talk. That's right. And, and so people look up to that, and they see that, and, and uh, I'm respectful of it. Amen. And respectful man that can do that. And I'm proud to be a member of Sherwood Bible Church, an acquaintance of Pastor Ross. Thank you, John. Appreciate that. One of the things, you know, we we listen to all of the people say what they admire, uh, all of the qualities in you, Ross, and not only are you a man of integrity and a, a godly man, I think one of the things that I appreciate and respect about you so much is that you are open to learning and that you uh, do continually learn and are open to uh, what God would have you discover, and that you are a man that is constantly discovering what God would have you see and be. Well, thank you. I I resonate with a comment of a minister friend of mine in Houston, Texas, uh, or about him. They say about Jim that uh, any day that Jim doesn't have seven new ideas is a bad day. And uh, I'm a little bit that way myself. I, uh, I tell people I wake up in a whole new world every morning. And I just, um, it's a, I'm always liking, I enjoy, I like to try on things for size. Amen. And a lot of stuff I probably don't ever, I don't ever carry past the thinking about, but uh, there's, there's just a lot of good things that's happening. I'm, uh, I'm won't tell anybody my age. Uh, I started ministry very, very young. I, somebody told me today that must have been four years old. I wasn't quite that young. But um, I, I think, the, uh, though we've been here 46 years, I told somebody this a couple of years ago, that I think the best 40 years are yet ahead. Amen to that. So, Amen to that. Ross, thank you for spending this time with us tonight. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening, dear friends. Good night, and God bless you.